Hello and welcome back to Painting the Corners and our Top 10 Right Now series. We are moving on to third base now, the hot corner. Uh, if you haven't listened, we covered first base last time, the outfield positions, and relief pitching. And so now we are on to third base, what has been a stacked position for the last half decade or so. And this year it's no different. The top five or six guys are all perennial MVP candidates. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into this exciting, exciting list. Like you said, Johnny, third base is absolutely loaded. It wouldn't surprise me if someone were to say this is the most hop-heavy position that there is, at least position player-wise. There's just a stacked top five, six in this position, which made it really fun but also really difficult because it came down to a point for me where I was like, honestly, who do I just like better profile wise because they're so similar at the top and then you kind of get towards that bottom of the list and that was tough too because obviously with third base I think defense is important um so there's some guys who are elite defenders but below average hitters for sure and then some guys who can really swing it but don't provide a ton of defensive value so it was tough to find that balance for me I'm wondering did you kind of have that same sort of issue uh yeah for sure um, I did debate with myself a little bit on how much to weigh the defense at third base. Uh, and eventually I decided, I decided it was pretty similar to right field. You know, um, the corner outfield spots, right field is certainly the more defensive minded. And of the corner infield spots, third base is certainly more defensive minded than first base. So I went with a three and a half to one um, offense to defense ratio. For defense and that's not really an, exa- an exact science part of that was just you know three didn't look quite right four didn't look quite right three and a half gave me a list that I was happy with um, and so that's kind of where that came from but yeah as you said the top five or six it's usually it's like you know one and two is like you know really elite players and then you know three four five is really good players and then after that it kind of tails off it's very like there's really just two tiers here. There's the first tier, which is all MVP caliber players. And then after that, it's just, you know, good players. But the difference between one to six isn't really as much as the difference between six to seven. It's, it's weird. No, you're totally spot on with what you said right there. And that kind of made this a lot of fun too, because, you know, as you guys know, I I do blind reactions, so I don't know who the players are. And a lot of times I'm kind of like, okay, this profiles is such and such. But this one wasn't as easy for that reason because a lot of these guys are elite hitters. And when you have a lot of elite hitters, they put together usually similar stats. And it made it really fun to kind of debate with myself, you know, and it kept my answers definitely unbiased. I can tell you that much. So I think, too, another thing is when you're looking at it, an accumulation of data from the last two years, it became more so important for third base than any position for me to then, once I had my list compiled, look at last year's stats to kind of have a differentiator between certain guys because they're so similar over the last two years. It came down to, okay, who had a better year last year? Who was more 
who was better more recently. And right. that definitely played a factor for me. All right. You want to give us your list? Yeah, I guess I'm ready to give us give give my list. Um, I can't say that I'm in love with it, but I'm happy with the people on the list, one through nine. Number 10 definitely gave me some fits. And I feel like, knowing you, Johnny, I feel like you're not going to love this answer. But my number 10 third baseman is none other than Justin Turner of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, My reasoning behind Turner really came from the fact that he was such an elite level hitter for about half of last year. And when it came down to it, I was looking at the other guys and they might profile a little bit better defensively. But over just the last accumulation of his career, he's you know obviously had some health issues, but he still played in 279 games the last two years, which really isn't that far off from the guys who played the majority of their games. I like the profile. Not a huge strikeout guy. Hits the ball hard still. Over the last two years combined, his WRC Plus was at 125, and last year alone he was at 123. So... I don't know. I, I didn't want Turner on my list. I really didn't. But the more and more I looked at him, it was like I kind of felt wrong for kicking him off just for age reasons because while he definitely hasn't been the hitter he used to be maybe four years ago, he's still deserving of a top 10 spot in my mind. So he comes in at number 10. At number 9, his former teammate Max Muncy. You know, he was a guy who initially came up a lot higher on my list before I incorporated last season's statistics because – my goodness, it's pretty ridiculous. I didn't realize that he walked at a 15% clip over the last two years. You know, that is elite level stuff. And I knew he had a good uh, a good eye at the plate, but I didn't realize it was that high. Again, 123 WRC plus the last two years. Nothing special defensively, but, you know, had to be on my list. And I felt like nine was a solid spot there. So coming in ahead of him is a guy with not as much offensive prowess, but has shown... He can floss the leather, no doubt, and that would be Matt Chapman. You know, he was a tough guy to rank for sure. Uh, Strikes out at a high percentage, but he also has a high hard hit percentage. Not the best hitter, like I said. Probably the worst hitter on my list, in my opinion. But the defense, really elite there. Last year, though, it wasn't too great, which could have hurt him for sure, but I kind of believe in him. 8.3 war over the last two years is a lot to overlook, so he came in at number 8 on my list. And at number 7... A guy who had you told me he'd be on a list this year, I would have told you you were crazy, and that is Yandy Diaz over in Tampa Bay. Having what an incredible year last year. You know, 143 WRC plus. Over the last two years, his strikeout to walk rate, he walks at a higher clip than he strikes out over the last two years while hitting the ball hard 44% of the time. Something I really, really love. The defense isn't quite there. Um, Projectability-wise, I might, you know, I love him a lot more than maybe the statistics show, but I think he'll come down to earth a little bit based off of last year. So I thought I thought number seven was a good spot there. At number six, and this was a pretty easy one to slot him in at number six, is Alex Brakeman, another guy over the last two years with a higher walk rate than strikeout rate. Doesn't hit the ball that hard, surprisingly. Only at a 37% clip is he hitting that ball hard, but it's tough to overlook Alex Bregman's production. Last two years, 128 WRC+. Plus low BABIP, which can kind of be explained by not hitting the ball super hard, but just an elite player over the last four years, and it's tough to put him anywhere lower than number six. 
So here was the top five, and I really feel like this was an elite top five. And four and five was definitely a difficult decision, but I ended up settling on Austin Riley coming in at number five. You know, a guy who really has an average walk rate, average strikeout rate, hits the ball pretty hard. But man, over the last two years, 139 WRC plus, 10.2 WAR. It's he's just a really good hitter, and he's he's getting towards that elite player in baseball range if he's not already there. So Austin Riley coming in at number five, kind of surprising given how good he is. But this third base position is loaded, and when you hear the names above him, you probably won't have too much of a gripe because at number four is the guy who just signed a three hundred and thirty million dollar plus contract, and that's Rafael Devers over in Boston. You know, him and him and Riley, extremely similar in a lot of ways. Just thought that Devers was slightly better in a couple areas. K rate, hard hit percentage, all that sort of thing. But not much more to go into there. Neither of the guys are great defenders. That's kind of the reasoning Devers over Riley. So the top three. Um, I definitely believe that there was a top three. They were close to the four or five guys. So the top three, in my opinion, you could put almost in any order. I think it is splitting hairs when deciding who's better. Um, and it's just really what you value more because at number three, I put the better defender in Nolan Arenado in that position. You know, I didn't know where I'd have Arenado at the end of this sort of thing. He does not strike out much. He doesn't hit the ball extremely hard per se. I think out of the top three, he's the worst offensive profile for me. But my goodness, defensively, is he a wizard? And sure, he might take 45 unnecessary steps just to throw the ball. <laughs> but but he is an elite, elite defender. Probably the best in the sport at any position. And I wanted to put him a little higher, but the guys ahead of him, I, they're, they're just insane. So coming in at number two was none other than Jose Ramirez. Wow. Uh, which, spoiler alert, means I had Manny Machado at number one, and I can kind of debate that a little bit in the f- little bit more in the future. Jose Ramirez, elite bat-to-ball skills, walking at a 10% clip, striking out at a 12. Doesn't hit the ball overly hard all the time, under 40% over the last two years, but the production there is just consistent. Had the most war over the last two years amongst anyone on this list at 126 and the defense isn't bad at it by any means. You know, he's not necessarily known for that, but he's does not provide any sort of negative value. In fact, I've had him at a pretty positive value there. So with all that said, obviously Manny Machado at number one, and I can defend that later, but I think it's time, Johnny, for you to give us your top 10 third baseman right now. All right, Logan. Ugh. Did you have to start out with Turner? See, when we called in <laughs> to this, I didn't, we didn't share our list, but you know, I said something about how at least I didn't have Justin Turner on my list for once, because of course he's been on here forever. And Logan just kind of got quiet. And uh, I knew <laughs> I knew that he was on there. So it's very unfortunate. Anyway, he's not on my list, thankfully. He did come in at number 11. But at number 10 of the New York Yankees, Mr. DJ LeMayhew. He was a pretty surprising inclusion for me, honestly. Um, If you're asking me before I made this list, I probably would have said that Turner uh, was better. But it turns out he hasn't been, at least according to my metrics here. LeMahieu came in at 11th offensively, um, so just outside the bubble. But due to his good defense, which is a lot better than I expected, uh, especially at third base, um, he slid 
just enough up to sneak into that number 10 spot ahead of Turner. Um, just really profiles as a solid all-around player, kind of like we were talking about with uh, Mark Canna in left field a couple times ago. He just does everything well. He walks a lot. He doesn't strike out too much. He can poke one over the wall, especially at Yankee Stadium. Uh, he's going to hit for a high average. So, you know, and, he, and of course, he plays good defense, as I already mentioned. So very well-rounded player. And, like, that's just kind of the guy that you want to bet on to continue his production because if one part of his game declines due to age or just regression, you can be confident that, you know, since he's not a one-dimensional player, he can still be valuable. And um, that's the kind of guy that front offices want on their team. So, yeah, he sneaks in at number 10 despite not having the upside probably anymore that he once did or that some of these other guys do. At number nine, and I was definitely surprised that this guy came as low as he did, but as you mentioned, his defense was not up to his usual standards last year, which certainly played a part, and that would be Matt Chapman, now of the Toronto Blue Jays. Coming in at number nine, as you said, not a stellar offensive performer. Um, Although, man, I mean, in 2018-19 when he was hitting the ball hard and hitting home runs, he certainly would have been up in the top three, four of this group. Looked like he was going to be a perennial contender for the top spot on this list, but his offense has really taken a step back. Um, So he slides down to number nine now. At number eight, flip-flopping with you, I've got Max Muncy. You already talked about him, the excellent walk rate, great plate discipline, and of course the prodigious power as well. At number seven, in perfect agreement, Yandi Diaz, I thought I was going to have to fight hard for my boy Yandi. <laughs> I have been the Yandi truther for a long time. Uh, we talked about him in the All-Star game. I was really pushing for him to be included on the All-Star game uh, roster. But yeah, the, the hitting is just there. And it's very surprising because he's not a traditional, you know, 21st century slugger, launch angle guy. He hits the ball super hard, but he pounds it into the ground. And so he's really just a line drive hitter. He gets occasional home runs, but he actually benefits a lot from playing in Tampa Bay, which you don't usually say for a hitter because of the AstroTurf. Uh, creates such a fast infield. So he gets a little more love from the fast infield on his ground balls than he might expect if he was playing on grass. But anyway... Besides that, yeah, as you said before, walks more than he strikes out. Really, really great profile there. Can't field very much at all. He was actually the worst defender in my entire list, but his offense more than makes up for it, so he comes in at number seven. At number six, again in perfect concert, Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros has fallen off, certainly from his peak in the 2019-2020 days, but still a formidable bat, still plays decent defense at third base. Already nearing the uh, end of his tenure with the Astros, it seems like he didn't come up too long ago, but two more years left with them unless they re-sign him. So he'll be looking to increase his production, try to match those earlier level years to secure his payday in free agency. At number five, or should I say numbers four and five, we had a flip again. You had Devers at four and Riley at five. I have Devers at five and Riley at four. By the slimmest of margins, I came to the same conclusion that you did, that they have very similar profiles. 
I had their offense as essentially equal. Um, and only the fact that Devers was significantly worse defensively separated them for me. So I have Devers at five, Riley at four. Another surprising one, too. I certainly would have ranked Devers higher in my head um, if I wasn't looking at the stats. At number three, we are in consensus again here. Nolan Arenado's great defense cannot quite propel him above the top two guys uh, due to the strength of their offense. And that leaves numbers one and two. And I did not come to the same conclusion that you did. I have Jose Ramirez at number one, Manny Machado at number two, despite my Padre bias. Couldn't do it. Um, The stats don't lie. And they've got Machado at two. Ramirez at one. Um, Just a quick note after before I'm sure we're going to debate this, but both guys, obviously incredible players. All these guys are on these lists, but the thing I most want to touch on for both these guys is the consistency. Ramirez used to be known as a, a really streaky hitter. He'd go on huge tears for, you know, two, three months and then go really cold the other half of the year. Um, but the last two years, he has really put together complete seasons both times. Um, and Machado just, I mean, every day shows up posts, um, plays as good defense and, uh, has really matured into a leadership role with the Padres. So those guys come in at one and two, and uh, now we've got to figure out who goes where in our combined list. So, yeah, I think the the interesting thing to me about after you've gone through your list is you were saying you have Turner, Justin Turner, being at number 11 and LeMayhew at 10, and I have LeMayhew at 11 and Turner at 10. So for me, and I'm curious if it was the same for you, I think there's a pretty obvious top 11, and I think there's a pretty dr- significant drop-off after that. Did you feel the same? I did, yeah. I have Eugenio Suarez coming in at 12, and he is a stone's throw behind Turner. I wouldn't really consider putting him over Turner. Yeah, so I think that's fair enough to say. Another thing uh, about people who missed the list, last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, did it surprise you at all that Key Brian Hayes was as bad of an offensive player as he ended up being. Because I, for one, did not think he was probably the worst hitter amongst all the people considered. Uh, It absolutely surprised me, yeah. Because he tore the cover off the ball for like eight games when he came up in 2020. um, And then was bad in 2021 and was bad in 2022. So, um, yeah, definitely shocked me a little bit there. Um, he came in as the worst player in in the field offensively. Um, he was the best defensively, though, right. even better than Arenado. So that saved him from dead last. He came in 16th. The other guys down there, I mean, he got some used tos. You know, Donaldson uh, came in 14th. Moncada, who used to be, he probably came in like 9th or 10th last year. He dropped to 11th, or sorry, excuse me, he dropped to 17th after a really bad year. Um, I also threw in Anthony Rendon just for the heck of it. And he came in last unsurprisingly because he hasn't played at all. Um, Gene Segura, who is moving to third base came in second to last. Yeah. But as you said, really a top 11 and then a fairly big drop off. So I think we can kind of switch things up again this time, Johnny, and we can probably go 10 to one here. And I guess the real discussion starts with that 10 spot because 
like I mentioned earlier. My 11 is your 10. Your 11 is my 10. So the Turner versus LeMahieu discussion is very close, and I still don't love Turner over LeMahieu. I'll give, I'll give my quick synopsis as to why I go Justin Turner, but I'll, I'll let you kind of give yours on why you think LeMahieu over Turner. So for, for me, Justin Turner is just a better hitter, and that's quite frankly what it comes down to. You know, they've played similar games and played appearances, so all the rate stats are comparable. Um, he does strike out a little bit more than LeMahieu and doesn't walk as much, but he's just produced more. He's not as good a defender either, so there is that to consider. But when you just look at last year alone, uh, him and LeMahieu, he had a 123, that being Justin Turner, WRC+. Plus, and LeMahieu had a 116, meaning he was 16% better than league average, Turner being 23%. And then if you kind of look at the holistic picture over the last two years, Justin Turner finds himself being 25% better, while LeMahieu's only at a 107. So while I think that given just last year's statistics, given that LeMahieu's a better defender, I probably have LeMahieu over Turner. LeMahieu had a pretty big down year two years ago, and Turner, when he is hot, I think he's a much better hitter than when LeMahieu is hot. So that was my reasoning. But I think you can kind of see in my argument that there's a lot of things about LeMahieu that are better than Turner that I like as well. Yeah, and the argument for LeMahieu is based on consistency and you know just the fact that he's a well-rounded player, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Turner had the very hot stretch to close out the year, but you know, through June, he was hitting 230 with no slug. Um, and LeMahieu is just a, a more consistent player. Um, but for sure, that, that does mean Turner has more upside if he can sustain those hot stretches throughout the year. And as you said, he has been a better hitter over the last two years. Um, the defense isn't on the level of LeMahieu, but it's not terrible either. He'll make the routine plays. Um, he's not going to cost you too much on the defensive end, but of course you're expecting that to continue to deteriorate as he, you know, passes the wrong side of whatever 36 or seven he is now. Um, yeah, it's close. I had LeMahieu ahead, but not by very much. So if you are dead set on Turner, I'm okay with that. I'm not completely dead set on LeMahieu. Yeah. And I was about to say the same thing. You know, I'm okay with going LeMahieu as well because I almost did go LeMahieu. And right before we started this episode and re-looking at the stats, I then switched to LeMahieu to number 10. And then literally seconds before we started, I switched it back. So I've flip-flopped this a million times. Well, I haven't flip-flopped mine, so that means that you don't like him as much as I do. No, so I'm good with putting DJ LeMahieu at number 10 and yeah. giving you that one. With of course Yankees the expectation are... that I get, uh, I get oh, in the future, you know. If I, I don't like... know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just looking at the whole list, we don't have anybody who's more than one spot off. We had ten, eleven. We've got eight, nine is up in the air. Um, seven and six are the same. Four, five is up in the air, and one, two is up in the air. So, there's no big gaps. That's clearly the most homogeneous list we've made most similar lists we've made for sure yeah and i'm excited because 
go check out our first face episode, but there are definitely some heated arguments in that one over who goes where. So this one will be a little bit more mellow of an episode in that in that sense. And like you said, we had a different 9-8, and mine was being Chapman at 8, Muncie at 9. You had Muncie at 8, Chapman at 9. I'll let you go ahead first on this one. Argue for Muncie here. Well, I mean, he's just a better hitter by a lot. Uh, and just not 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 even better hitter so much in production, although he has been, but a much better profile. I mean, you're looking at a guy who walked 16% of the time last year. That's probably top like three or four in all of baseball. I don't know off the top of my head, but that just raises your floor so much because that's 160 points of OBP right there pretty much um, that you're getting for free just by not swinging at pitches. Whereas our boy Matty Chaps, he walks at an 11% clip, you know, respectable, but he also strikes out 27% of the time. And since he, you know, hasn't been hitting for average and hasn't been hitting for as much power as he used to, that's kind of coming back to bite him um, because, you know, he's still selling out. He's still behaving like a power hitter, um, but he's not getting those results. Uh, Another thing in Muncie's favor he put up a ridiculously low 227 BABIP last year. Um, and I had him for a 266 expected BABIP, which is 39 points higher than his actual one. So that's a huge boost that he should see some uh, regression next year towards the mean and get some better batted ball luck. Um, but, you know, it, all of this is just to say that Muncie's a better hitter than Chapman, which we already know. If you're really convinced that Chapman is so much more of an elite defender that it outweighs his offensive deficiencies, then that's a different argument. I would be inclined to believe that, except that two out of the last three years, he has only been about average defensively. Um, 2020 and 2022, he was around the plus one, plus two range in DRS and OAA. Um, 2021, he was outstanding. He was... Uh, let's see, plus 10 and plus 17. But I don't know, you know, one outstanding year out of the last three defensively. And yes, we know defensive metrics aren't, you know, generally that all they're cracked up to be. But I'm having trouble believing that that's enough to uh, catapult him over somebody who's clearly a better offensive player. All right. So I do think what you're saying is very fair. And I don't disagree with you for the most part. However, I'm going to argue a little bit for my boy Matty Chaff here because I think that you're not giving him enough credit for his offensive profile, and I think you're also giving Max Muncy a little bit too much credit. And here's why. Last year, okay, we're talking Max Muncy, 15% walk rate. Give it 16, 15.9 to be exact. Uh, not to be petty, but 15.9. So he's at 15.9, Chapman's at 11. Obviously, Muncy elite, Chapman, that's really good. Chapman had the 27% strikeout rate. Max Muncy had a 25% strikeout rate. So it's not necessarily yeah, I didn't mention that like, part. yeah. So it's not necessarily like, like Muncy is an elite strikeout rate guy. He's just slightly below average. Um, here's what I love about Matt Chapman. And you talked about him kind of selling out a little bit, but you can argue that with the strikeout rate of Muncy, when he does swing, he could sell out. Now we know that's not the case, but if we're just looking statistically, you could say he might have a little bit of sellout in him, right? Well, Matt Chapman, when he does sell out and he makes contact, he's hitting the ball at a 50.7% hard hit percentage. So 
that's something that I look at and I'm like, wow, that's pretty elite. That's actually top three amongst all third basemen last year. Now then I go and I look at Max Muncy, who strikes out only at a 2% better clip. His hard hit percentage, while respectable, is only at 44.7 last year, which gave him, when you kind of break everything down, he was only 6% better than league average. I know he had a huge slump, so I'm not going to dock him too much for that. Chapman had a 117 WRC+, plus, so 17% better, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, Chapman last year, I agree with you. He was down in terms of defense. It was just barely above league average. Muncie was probably just barely below league average. However, Chapman, with everything said, was able to put up 4.1 more last year and 4.2 the year before. Muncie had 2.4 more last year. Now, the previous year, he was no doubt a better player um, offensively than Chapman. But if I'm just looking at profiles, I think Chapman's better than you might have given him credit for. Because if he is going to sell out, at least when he does, he's smashing the ball. Well, he, yeah, he did mash the ball last year. That's definitely true. But if you're looking at the year before, he was only at 42% hard hit rate and Muncie was at 46. So I'm not sure if that's change that's going to stick. Uh, another thing is he does hit the ball hard a lot, but he only makes contact about 70 to 75 percent of the time um because he strikes out so much and yes Muncie strikes out too but his game is not built around how hard he hits the ball his game is built around getting on base and taking his walks um I don't know it's another close one for two really different players I will say that I certainly believe in Chapman's defense a lot more than the metrics give him credit for I don't I mean, I didn't watch any Blue Jays games this year or anyone except out of the playoffs. But from everything I've seen, he's still the same defender he was in Oakland. Um, and if he had been, let me just do a quick little test here. Let me copy his defensive stats from 2021 when he was really good and uh, paste them into 2022 and see what happens. So he jumps... That's <laughs> so funny. He jumps from nine to eight and pushes Muncie from eight to nine. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not really one to put all my faith into the defensive metrics basket, especially for a guy who passes the eye test so much and has passed the defensive metrics test in the past. So, yeah, okay. We can put Chapman ahead of Muncie. All righty. There we go. Um, I will say when I was doing these lists and, uh, Chapman was a difficult one to rate for sure, because how much do you weigh the defense last year versus this year? And I came to the spot with having him above Muncie and I was pretty satisfied with that. Just given Muncie's kind of downish year last year, but I think Muncie has a real easy path to jump him next year. If he just puts up another solid offensive year from start to finish. So. Muncie definitely can be a climber next year. Uh, someone who, like we talked about earlier, was a huge climber. We can agree upon at number seven was Yandy Diaz. You kind of touched on him and how much you've loved him. I love him too. Great hitter. Really profiles well for that team and that ballpark. So continued success there. Number six, I like I kind of mentioned when I was giving my list, it was kind of easy. I thought Bregman was definitely not number seven, and he definitely was not number five. And it seems like you kind of came to that conclusion as well. So we had Bregman in at number six. So now our next little argument is going to come in at number four and five, where I have Devers ahead of Riley 
and you have the opposite. So I'm going to give a quick spiel on why I like Devers a little bit more than Riley, and then you can try to convince me the other way around. So with Raphael Devers and Austin Riley, two very similar players in a lot of ways, when I'm looking at holistically the last two years, uh, similar walk rates, Devers does strike out a little bit less than Riley. And he hits the ball harder, for sure. He actually profiles the last two years as having the highest hard hit percentage amongst all third basemen, and by a pretty solid margin. So I like that. It's at 51%, so that's pretty elite, obviously. They're, you know, production-wise, just getting the job done, they're so similar. They're both just under 40% above league average. Uh Something I did like a little bit more about Devers, however, is, and this is the last two years, his BABIP is about 30 points lower uh, than that of Mr. Austin Riley. And if you look last year, Austin Riley's was more towards that league average range, and Devers is a little bit higher. So it's tough for me to completely dock him for that. You know, you were talking about how you liked Riley's defense better than Devers, as Devers was your worst defender, or one of your worst defenders. And I can agree with you that Devers is a worse defender, but I don't think it's by enough for me to catapult Devers below Riley just because I like the profile offensively of Devers, striking out a little bit less, hitting the ball hard a little bit more. But then again, you kind of looking at last year, Devers really improved his strikeout rate. He got that below 20% to an 18.6% clip. Uh, Him and Riley's walk rates were similar and their hard hit percentages were similar. But Devers found himself striking out at a 6% better clip. Other than that, they're very similar. Riley gets the edge defensively. Devers, my opinion, has a better offensive profile. So given all that, I went with Rafael Devers. All right, let's see if I can kind of match you point by point here. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, the, the strikeout rate and walk rate certainly give a little edge to Devers, and he does hit the ball hard. But... I don't know. I've kind of been opposed to your hard hit rate as a metric of success in general because, you know, you look at a guy like Josh Donaldson. He had a he had a 53% hard hit rate in 2021. Um and Donaldson we both agreed was nowhere close to this list. So, you have to do lots of other things right for your hard hit rate to matter too. So, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um secondly about the BABIP and the the luckiness. Uh, if you're looking at 2021, that's certainly true. I had Riley for uh, due for 42 points of regression in his BABIP, so he was really lucky uh, in 2021. And Devers was very slightly unlucky due for six points of positive regression to a 313 BABIP. But this year it was flip-flopped. Riley was 14 points under his expected BABIP, and Devers was 28 points above his expected BABIP. So if you're accounting for waiting 2022 more than 2021, I'd say that's pretty much a wash on the luck aspect of it. I don't think either of those guys <coughs> is, you know, you can really either say that one of them ought to be doing better than the other one just based on getting lucky over the last two years. Um, as for the defense... Yeah, it's it, they're neither of them are good. Um, they came in seventeenth and eighteenth out of nineteen players on defense, but the gap was still pretty big. So if I'm just looking here, Riley, twenty twenty, he was terrible. Twenty twenty one, 
it was very conflicted. He was plus 13 on DRS, but minus six on OAA. And a similar story this past year, plus six on DRS and minus six on OAA. Um, I generally trust OAA a little more, but I mean, obviously DRS likes something about him. Um, if I'm looking at Devers, it's much more black and white. Um, minus four, minus four in 2020, minus 13, minus 13 in 2021, minus six, minus two in 2022. So negatives all across the board. Nobody thinks he's a good defender. Riley at least has half the table arguing for him as a good defender. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough because I like your list more than mine. Like I like Devers better than Riley, but the problem is that Riley's better according to my list. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is a close one, for sure. Um, I'll quickly defend my hard hit incorporation here. And I I never look at hard hit percentage by itself. I I always incorporate it with a couple things. So just as a quick little example, if I'm looking at a guy who has maybe a really low BABIP or something, (coughs) um, you know, if they're hitting the ball really hard and they have a low strikeout rate, okay, then that makes sense. But if I see a guy with a lower-ish end BABIP and he doesn't hit the ball very hard and he's you know striking out as much as he's walking, then he kind of profiles a little bit differently. So it just kind of allows me to profile a guy a little bit better um, as more of a who they are than a, oh, this guy hits the ball harder than this guy. He's a better player because I don't believe that. I do believe that there's a, a sense to contact as well. Um, obviously, you'd love to hit the ball harder. That would give you a higher chance of hitting the ball. And I think the opposite is true as well. If, if a guy is hitting the ball at above a 50% clip and his BABIP is kind of leaning towards a little bit higher side of things, well, that might explain it a little bit because if he's hitting the ball really hard more than not, then he's going to probably have a higher batting average on balls that he puts in play. So that's kind of why I have it. But um, And I just kind of use it to more explain why other things happen rather than explain why someone is better than the other guy. But with that said, back to the kind of Riley Devers thing. Yeah, it's extremely close. I just think Devers is kind of improving his game, uh, you know, with with how he's becoming a better hitter. I just think he's a better hitter at the end of the day. I think he's a better pure hitter than Riley. That's kind of where my argument lies. You know, I'm not opposed to putting Riley above Devers. I don't love it per se. Uh, but this one's tough. This one's tough. I mean, I really have them as almost equal offensively. Um, And of course, I've already said before with the the Chapman thing that I don't completely trust the defensive metrics, but they do have a little bit of significance. And I think in a situation like this, where for Riley, they're saying conflicting things, but for Devers, they're, you know, agreeing that he's bad. um, I'm more, more inclined to trust to uh, trust that difference and say that Riley is a better defender. And I mean, Devers profile is probably a little bit better, but Riley has been incredibly productive, just as productive over the last two years. And, you know, with both guys as young as they are, you're not really expecting any regression from either of them. So I want the better defender, even if it's just by a little bit in Riley. Okay. You know, I can, I can stomach this one. I'll give you Riley here. Uh, you know, he's, he is a great player and I think 
Obviously, we think of Devers as being that elite, elite hitter, and I and I do believe that he is a better hitter than than uh, that of Riley. But I think it's really close, and I think at some point we're going to have to start recognizing, if we haven't already, that Riley belongs in that top tier hitter conversation, especially if he does this again next year, which would give him about three, three and a half, maybe four full years of being this type of guy. So. With all that being said, we obviously now have a 3-4-5 that looks like Nolan Arenado, which you and I agreed upon, Austin Riley, and then Rafael Devers. So here comes the, the argument for the top slot. Manny Machado versus Jose J. Ram Ramirez. Shoot me with your Ramirez argument here. I'd love to, I'd love to see why you think he is better than our beloved Manny Machado. Our beloved, yeah. Um, he's a better hitter. That's all there is to it. Uh, I can take you through the particulars here if you want. Um, last year, JRAM at a 139 WRC plus, Machado a little bit better at 152. In 2021, we have JRAM at a 138 and Machado down at 122. So Ramirez, very consistent for sure. Um, Certainly a slightly better profile here. You're looking at a uh, 11.3% walk rate in 2021 and just a 14% strikeout rate for Ramirez. Um, in 2022, it was even closer, 10 and 12 um, walk and strikeout rates. Machado walks almost as much around 9 to 10%, um, where Ramirez was like 10 to 12 he strikes out definitely a fair bit more um, around 18% over the last two years. Um, so that's definitely a point in Ramirez's favor um, because as we've harped on before, that walk rate is really important to keep you getting on base even when the hits aren't falling. Um, and obviously striking out less is ideal too, putting more balls in play, giving yourself more chances to get on base and drive in runs. Um, if we're looking at batted ball luck, uh, I did have both guys actually as getting significantly lucky uh, this year. So a wash there from looking at last year. Um, let's see. I had both guys getting pretty similarly unlucky. So no discernible margins there. Ramirez, as a switch hitter, should benefit a little bit from the shift ban um, when he's batting lefty, so that would help him. Uh, both guys are were plus base runners this year. Machado was not a plus base runner uh, in previous years, so unknown if he can sustain that production, but Ramirez is a premier base dealer in the league. He's been plus six or more base running runs per year uh, over the last two years. So that is really elite. Um, Machado, if you're looking at hard hit rate, definitely does hit the ball harder. But given Ramirez's contact ability, I think that's not as important. Um, and also Ramirez elevates the ball into the air more, which explains why he has more home runs or a similar amount of home runs to Machado over the last two years, despite not hitting the ball as hard. Alrighty. So I don't disagree with much of what you said there. 
However, I do disagree with your conclusion because while I can look at Jose Ramirez and say he probably profiles a little bit better, and I think he does, um, especially given the fact that he walks a little bit more and strikes out a lot less than Manny. And like you said, the hard hit percentage gap is pretty significant. However, like I was saying earlier, when you kind of take into account what that means for a guy who doesn't strike out and who walks at a decent clip, kind of explains it for Jose. And, and like you said, he elevates the ball and is able to hit it out. So, you know, there is that. I think the thing with me that really was the deciding factor here, because these two came in pretty darn close. And I think there was part of me that liked Jose Ramirez a little bit better until I looked at last year. Because while Jose Ramirez had an elite season, Manny Machado had whatever you consider above elite. He put up a total of 1.2 more F4. His WRC plus, and, and you said it was a little different. I, I think this is more than a little. A, uh, a solid 13-point difference in WRC plus, Manny being at 152 and JRAM only at 139. I say only as more of an in-comparison type of situation. But I don't know. I feel like the gap last year between these two guys was big enough for me to have Manny jump Jose because what Manny did last year was next to pretty incredible. And I'm not even talking about intangibles and all that stuff. I'm just talking about solely statistically. The guy was 52% better than league average. He was second in MVP voting. Like there's a whole reason for that. And while J-Ram is always going to be up there in the top five for MVP voting, no doubt, so is Manny Machado. Manny Machado has done this for a long time. And I feel like sometimes with Manny, there can just be a little bit of, not that he's underrated, because I feel like people understand how good he is. But I feel like there's a little bit of an underappreciation for the fact that the dude put up 7.4 war last year. I mean, that's a lot. That's not easy to do. And J-Ram only coming at 6.2, given the fact that I didn't think they were far off from the first place uh, when I did my rankings, I couldn't really decide. It was kind of not easy, but it made the decision for me, given how much better I think Manny was last year. And that's a good point, too. I'm surprised you haven't touched on his defense, because that's the clearest advantage that Machado has. Um, he came in at fourth defensively uh, on my rankings. Uh, excuse me, fifth, actually, trailing only Key Brian Hayes, Arenado, Ryan McMahon, and Matt Chapman. So, very good. Um, although Ramirez was at seventh, so nothing to shake a stick at there. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I would love to put Manny at one um, because... Padres fans. It was just that it was a bigger gap between Ramirez and Machado for me than Machado and Arenado. Um, and I don't know, like that that two three battle was more of a battle for me than than one two. Okay, interesting enough. I just I don't know. I just think Manny was just a better player last year from offensively to defensively. And I don't think it was a huge gap, but I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily splitting hairs when it comes to that. You know, like you say with Jose, he's just a, 
pure hitter and he does a lot, lot right. And I think that helps him a ton. <sighs> Dang, it's tough. It's really, really tough between these two for me. Um, but I will say this. When you're looking at projection systems for next year, and if you use the BAT-X, which is kind of a very accurate prediction system, they've been more accurate than any other prediction system over the last couple of years. They do have JRAM at getting 5.8 war next year versus Manny at just a 5 war. So I guess I'll give you this one too. Uh, I'll give you Jose Ramirez. I do think Manny was a better player last year. I think that you agree with me on that. But yeah, like I kind of said earlier, Jose Ramirez has literally been in the top five MVP voting for a significant amount of time. And while Manny's usually in the thought process of maybe a top 10 guy, he hasn't always been in the top five as consistent as Jose. So I'll give you this one. I'll also give you Jose Ramirez number one. Um, so I guess I guess you win three out of the four arguments. I don't love that, but I know that means <laughs> well, that you get I mean, more in the future. Yeah, as you mentioned, though, when when guys are this close, and also guys like this that have been in the league for a long time, it can help definitely. Even though we didn't really consider it in our stats, to look back at previous years and just see how consistent they've been, because you know Machado did not have a great year in 2019. He had a solid but not spectacular year in 2021 whereas jose ramirez was in the top five mvp voting in all four of those years i believe so um i think that consistency probably earns him the number one spot so the number one spot on our list let's check in with mlb networks the shredder to see how they ranked and see if they have jose at number one but we will start with number 10 and they are in agreement with your and my list, and obviously your individual list as well. They have DJ LeMayhew at the number 10 slot. I think All that's right. a fair spot for him. Um, kind of surprising to me is their 7, 8, 9. I, I'm going to group those together because I think it paints a better picture. Justin Turner coming in at number 7, Max Muncy number 8, and then Yanni Diaz at number 9. I know you're going to have an issue with it because you're more of a Yandi supporter than I am because I definitely don't think there's a world in which Justin Turner is better than Yandi Diaz. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Uh, there's also a distinct lack of Matt Chapman anywhere here because um, yeah. I can't imagine they're going to put him in ahead of Bregman, Devers, Riley, and company. So that frustrates me. I don't see how... Chapman can be left off in favor of these four guys, but they obviously have, so that's unfortunate. But yeah, Turner, in no world, should he be the seventh best third baseman? Not anymore. Yeah, and for, I mean, he's getting old. He's not even going to be too much of a third baseman next year for Boston. There's just so many factors that Chapman is kind of in his prime years here. You know, I I don't think there's much of an argument for Turner over Chapman, even just statistically, other than the fact that Turner's been a little bit better offensively. But Chapman just puts up more war. He's just been more valuable for a good amount of time now. So that's definitely an interesting selection. And then, yeah, like you said, to put him at number seven, ahead of Muncie, ahead of Diaz, seems like a stretch for sure. Uh, but, you know, the shredder, 
is the shredder. So they did agree with us, and and I've said this three times now. Bregman at number six just seems so easy to do, and that's where they find him on his list. Here's kind of the big shocker that I know was caused a lot of public angst, and that would be Nolan Arenado at number five, which I will say is as bad as having Justin Turner at number seven. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's. I mean, it's funny because I you know we had him at three. And like, oh, it's only a two spot difference, but oh man, that's just, I would love to hear their arguments for why they put him behind Riley Endeavors. And I guess I'm answering my own question is that they have to be weighting offense much more heavily than defense and much more heavily than we are rating it because that would also explain why Chapman was left off the list um, as not an elite third baseman offensively. But wow. Yeah, that's uh that is crazy. I can't believe Arenado's at five. I I fully agree with the Cardinal fans who were up, up in arms about that. Yeah, and some of them wanted him at number one. And, and like I said, I honestly don't think that's too much of a stretch, though I wouldn't agree with it. But um, yeah, the fact that I think he has more of an argument for number one than Riley or Devers, yet finds himself at number five, right. has to be a defensive first argument. And like you said, because... If they're not counting on defense, then yeah, sure, maybe Chapman doesn't make this list. Maybe Arenado does fall to five. So I think that's got to be it. Obviously, we don't agree with that, and nor does a lot of people. So there is that. Coming in at three and four, thankfully, is not Manny Machado or Jose Ramirez. It's going to be Austin Riley and Rafael Devers in that order, which is agreeing with our order. We had them in just not the same slots. So... Kind of like we said, interchangeable in a lot of ways. No real issues there from either one of us. And now their number one third baseman is actually Manny Machado. Different than what we came to a consensus as. It is what I had. You know, they clearly, I think, also weighed last year a little bit more heavily. And that shows kind of based on the list as a whole. But then again, Arenado should be higher. So I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, they have Manny 1, Jose Ramirez 2. So again, I don't think that's crazy. Though I know it's not what we came to a conclusion with. Yeah, I I don't think agreeing with the MLB network list uh, is a good thing for you. I I think that actually gives me more credit than you given how the rest of this list looks. <laughs> yeah, or that means that MLB Network should hire me because I know what I'm talking about, and you mm-hmm. clearly don't. Mm-hmm. So there's those two arguments. But no, I mean, if you ever watch those episodes of their top 10 now list, they have different analysts coming on and giving their top 10 lists. And it's something that we'll probably touch on when we do the second basements next, but... There is a definite difference in lists between the analysts, and some of them might like a guy named Luis Guillorme as a top 10 second baseman. So just keeping that in mind, there are some idiots in the (laughs) world, and somehow they're employed by a network that represents MLB. So who knows what goes into the shredder, but there is that to take into consideration. So just to kind of wrap it up, um, Johnny and I's consensus list came down as Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado at the three spot, 
Austin Riley at four, Rafael Devers five, Alex Bregman, Yandy Diaz seven, Matt Chapman eight, Max Muncie, and DJ LeMayhew coming in at number nine. So with all that said, uh, we more than appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of our top 10 third baseman right now. We got a lot more coming your way. Like I mentioned earlier, we got second base next, shortstop, catchers, then starting pitchers, which means that all the positions I didn't just list, including first base, the outfield, and the relief pitchers have already been uploaded and, and are up there for you to give a listen to, so we'd greatly appreciate that. But yeah, Johnny, unless you got anything else, I think that'll do it for us. No, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Peace.